Good evening, my friends. I hope it is midnight wherever you are. Let's imagine that it's the witching hour. Why don't you turn out all the lights? My name is Josh Hitchens, and I am your host tonight. Welcome to Going Dark Theater. This is a podcast about finding the humanity behind the horror. And this midnight, I will tell you the tale of the Swamp Monster. My friends, as you may know, I am currently writing a book about the ghost stories of Delaware, and I thought I would share a story with you tonight. I grew up in Sussex County, Delaware, the most rural of counties in the first state, a state that is rife with paranormal superstitions, and that is what I'm going to be telling you tonight. Dorothy Williams Pepper who lived in Selbyville, Delaware, was a state treasure. My signed copy of her 1976 book, Folklore of Sussex County, Delaware, is as precious as gold to me. Within its pages are hundreds of priceless historical anecdotes, folk traditions and legends which would likely have passed out of human memory had she not written them down. As a native of Sussex County myself, reading this book gives me the authentic flavor of home, preserving the world I grew up in. Dorothy Williams Pepper began writing down folk tales and stories when she was 12 years old, and she never stopped. She was also a teacher for 36 years, while at the same time contributing regular articles to the Delaware Folklore Bulletin. Dorothy Williams Pepper died on September 8, 1996, at the age of 85. I wish I could have known her. In her book, Among the Home Remedies and Colorful Recollections of Ordinary Country Life, there are, of course, many references to widespread belief in the supernatural in Sussex County, Delaware. In the 1870s, neighbors went visiting at night after the supper dishes were washed. They ate corn popped in the fireplace and sometimes apples, since many farmers had fruit orchards. 
the children played outside, but usually ended up watching as their parents played talking tables. To play, four people sat around a nightstand on a small table, touched the table lightly with all fingers, and rubbed the tips of their fingers very lightly in a circular motion. One hand went clockwise, and the other went counterclockwise. This was done while all concentrated deeply on a question that had been asked. Everyone in the room was very quiet. Sometimes, after long concentration, a table leg would rise up slowly and tap out the answer. A common question asked was, How many pigs will my old sow have? The table legged banged eight times. And sure enough, when the pigs were born, there were eight in the litter. Another question was, Will I get a letter this week, bang once for yes and twice for no, before too long there would be two taps? One night, three of the boys, Cash, Willie, and Ed, wanted to have some fun. They crawled under the house, kept very quiet, and tapped the answers before the table moved. Talking tables enjoyed a revival in the 1930s. The book Folklore of Sussex County, Delaware also includes many tales of local witchcraft, including Dill Robinson, was a black woman who is able to put spells on people. This she did sometimes for pay and sometimes for pure malevolence. The person under the spell lost his appetite and wasted away. For a small amount, Dill would sometimes be persuaded to take off the spell. She lived in the area southwest of Bridgeville. She had refused to lift the spell from a man who had asked her to relieve him. In a state of exasperation and terror, he went home and the next morning drew a reasonable facsimile of Dill's countenance, loaded his gun with silver, for witches are impervious to silver, and proceeded to shoot Dill's picture. It is well known that this is one of the ways in which witches are subject to death, as are other mortals. Now, the story is that the exact hour her picture was shot, Dill, who was riding in a carriage eight miles across country, dropped dead on the seat beside the driver. Whether or not this broke the spell is unknown.
Another notorious Sussex County witch was known as Old Maul, who was killed in the same manner as the werewolf by a silver bullet. Old Maul's true name was Molly Kayhunk, and Dorothy Williams Pepper tells her story like this. In the neighborhood of Wooden Hawk Branch was a witch held in respectful fear for miles around. A group of young men met nearby early one morning to hunt the fox. In those days, the road descended through the forest to a narrow wooden bridge over the stream, and then ascended again through thick woods until it emerged on cultivated high ground beyond. As the boys began the descent down the hill, they could see Old Maul on the other side of the stream coming toward the bridge. One of them, recognizing her, said, Boys, yonder comes Old Maul. We'll have no luck with the fox this day. However, as they rode toward her and the distance between them narrowed, they stopped, took off their hats, and bowing politely said, Good morning, Aunt Molly. Turning a baleful eye upon them, from under her old beaver hat she said, Yes, now it's old Molly. But over there on the hill it was old Maul. Ye'd just as well go home, because today ye'll catch no fox. However, the dogs picked up a scent, and the fox gave them a wild chase until by late afternoon they had been through briar and bramble and across streams until both horses and riders were exhausted and the dogs were winded. They felt some elation, though, since the fox had taken refuge in a hollow tree. Some of the men said it was not the fox in the tree but that it was old Maul who had taken the shape of a fox. After some talk about the best course to pursue, one of the men agreed to ride home and bring back an axe and a gun loaded with silver. This he did, and when the gun was discharged through the hollow tree, their ears were assailed by the most unearthly screams which all agreed were more human than animal. When the tree was cut open, nothing was found inside. But the next morning, on the other side of the wood, beside a mill pond, old Maul, the witch, was found dead with her brain blown out. One of the best supernatural tales related in Dorothy Williams Pepper's book continues to fascinate and frighten to this day.
and she herself ended up becoming a small but vital player in the development of this indelible legend. The story is related in her book under the simple but spine-tingling heading, The Swamp Monster. For many years, local residents, especially teenagers, have talked about a swamp monster. Most of the adults of Selbyville and neighboring areas thought it was a hoax dreamed up by some teenagers or perhaps someone dressed in Halloween garb to scare people. A resident who had lived at the edge of the swamp for 70 years added that a few years ago, a bear scare blew up after a game warden shot and buried some stray dogs in the area. The warden went back a few days later and found that the carcasses had been dug up partially eaten. Claw marks were found nearby that led some people to say it was the work of a bear. No bear was found. A carload of five high school girls reported sighting a hairy, moaning creature, half man or perhaps a two-legged animal. Several others and at least one adult said they heard the moaning sound and saw the creature. Blood was seen on some logs near the swamp road. If you ride through the swamp, be sure to look carefully. Maybe you'll catch a glimpse of the horrible monster. This is one of those classic local urban legends that, once born, never truly dies. Location is always crucial in spooky tales such as this. And fortunately, the home of Delaware's swamp monster is an eerie place filled with history. Although much diminished from what it used to be, it is still the largest freshwater swamp on the Delmarva Peninsula, and it has gone by many names over the centuries. Currently known as the Great Cypress Swamp, it has also been known in the past as the Great Pocomoke Swamp, since it is the source of the Pocomoke River, and the Burnt Swamp, due to a disastrous fire that occurred in 1930. The 1938 Federal Writers Project book, Delaware, A Guide to the First State, does a terrific job of setting the scene, as always. Originally, the great Delaware Everglades contained thousands of acres of bald cypress timber. 
of the large, old-growth cypresses, only a scattered few survive deep in the almost impenetrable jungle along the Pocomoke River itself. Their trunks rising smooth and straight to lofty crowns, their knees standing like elves above the black water. Big blue huckleberries are gathered by the hundreds of gallons by swamp people who know how to choose their footing. Game laws here mean no more than liquor laws. The people of the great swamp have run their moonshine stills for generations, and these stills are another reason why strangers have to watch their step. A causeway runs for miles through a watery waste of blackened snags, the result of the terrible fire of 1930, said to have started from an exploding still. It burned for eight months while hundreds of volunteers struggled to control it. They could not because it burned underground that dry year through the accumulated peat of ages and burst forth anywhere and everywhere, even in the middle of nearby cornfields. Not only was standing timber burned, but the destruction of the peat bed many feet deep meant the destruction of the buried cypress for which the swamp was most noted. The great swamp is still here, a stubborn, melancholy wilderness whose mists rise like ghosts of its vanished cypresses while the buzzards wheel overhead on dark, Cloudy days there may be heard from the depths of the swamp, it is said, the sound of the old man writhing out his cypress shingles hour after hour as he used to do. He is a ghost, too. The Burnt Swamp Monster Maybe a genuine cryptid, perhaps still living in the swamp near Selbyville, Delaware. I wonder also, given the reports of a ghostly man within the woods, if the monster is really the apparition of the man whose moonshine still exploded starting the Great Fire of 1930. A man burned beyond all human recognition, still feasting on the blood of animals and unlucky people who dare to venture into the darkness of the great cypress swamp. Whatever the monster may be, it has been encountered by numerous people over the years and up to the present day. 
in the 1930s, after the Great Fire, two men ventured into the swamp with their dogs with the intent of going hunting, but they ended up being hunted themselves. Suddenly, the dogs put their tails between their legs and began to whimper. That was when the two men heard something screaming in the dark of the swamp. Something that followed them, snapping old, large tree branches as if they were twigs until they reached the safety of the road. On October 30th, 2015, the day before Halloween, reporter Mark Eichmann wrote an article for WHYY that explained an intriguing chapter in the legend of the burnt swamp monster with a confession by a man named Fred Stevens. Fred Stevens said... The legend hit its peak in 1964 when Selbyville resident Fred Stevens brought the creature to life. I was the swamp monster 50 years ago, Stevens said during an interview near the edge of the swamp. Having grown up, Hearing tales of the swamp monster, Stevens, then 21 years old, decided to cash in on the local legend, literally. At the encouragement of his friend, local newspaper employee Ralph Grapperhaus, Stevens created a swamp monster costume using his Aunt Dorothy's raccoon fur coat. It was all done with newspaper sales in mind. At night, Stevens would hide out along a road that cut through the swamp. Dressed in his makeshift monster costume and wielding a bat with a railroad spike sticking out of the end, Stevens pounced. I would jump out on them. Some of them would quit before they got up to me. They'd go back down the road flying, Stevens said. Grapper House would publish stories of the incidents in the local paper, and the legend grew. Eventually, visiting the swamp monster became a big attraction for local young people who sometimes brought offerings to appease the beast. Some people would come back and they'd throw chickens towards me to feed me, I guess, Stevens said. There was a whole mess of blood and chickens, and it was quite good. He said some visitors came from as far as Dover and Salisbury, Maryland, but no amount of newspaper sales was, was worth the risk of this unorthodox job. We just had to quit because so many people were coming back in pickup trucks and they were all about half drunk and they were shooting their guns, Stevens said. Somebody will shoot you and they really didn't mean it, so we just quit, you know. 
more than 50 years later. Stephen still enjoys the notoriety of his swamp monster days. He's talked to lots of parents who use the legend of the swamp monster to keep their kids in line. That raccoon fur coat Fred Stevens used as the swamp monster belonged to his Aunt Dorothy Williams Pepper, the woman who later wrote the book Folklore of Sussex County, Delaware. It is not known if she was aware of her nephew's creepy prank, but I like to imagine that if she did know how she had inadvertently contributed to the legend she herself wrote about, she would have found it delicious. This does not mean that the burnt swamp monster of Selbyville, Delaware, is a fiction. Far from it. Encounters continue to be reported. As recently as January 13, 2004, a student at the Delaware Technical Community College named John told the story of the night he drove down the road cutting through the great cypress swamp and saw something he could not explain. Nancy Marietta related John's uncanny experience on her blog, Sasquatch Observations. I turned off my high beams, thinking it was a person, because it was standing up. As I got closer to the, this being, I was taken back by its size. This entire figure had a thick black cover of hair, with no hair on its hands. I estimate it was around seven to eight feet tall. I was almost past this creature when it looked at me, and then looked back to the woods, as if it didn't care I was there. Once I made eye contact, the hair on my arms stood up, and I peeled out of the location. The Great Cypress Swamp in Sussex County, Delaware, has twice been nominated to become a national park, first by Senator Joe Biden in 1980, and then by Senator Tom Carper in 2004. Both attempts were opposed by the locals. They know better than anyone what still lurks in the darkened depths of the burnt swamp, ready to drink your blood. Be careful if you dare to explore the swamp at night. Beware. Take care. Fear the monster. It watches you. And it waits for you. And then, when you least expected it... <gasps> yum, yum.
Next time we meet on Going Dark Theater, I will tell you another tale to chill your bones. This season, each new episode will be a surprise. I also have another special Halloween project on my Patreon, patreon.com slash Josh Hitchens. I am releasing audio episodes of me hosting a creepy double feature of my favorite scary movies every night in the month of October. It's called 62 Horror Movies, and episodes will be posted exclusively on my Patreon, free for all to listen to. If you do wish to subscribe and support me, you can do so for as little as $1 a month. I am your host, Josh Hitchens, and you've been listening to Going Dark Theater, where we find the humanity behind the horror. Until our next midnight together, I wish you all pleasant dreams. And now, going dark.